A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award winning seating. They always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey everyone, and welcome to the House of Pot. I'm Kaveh. And I'm Lizzie. And if this is your first time listening, we're a medical... Sort of. ...podcast where we try to discuss medicine and health in a relatable way. And we will answer questions you may not feel comfortable asking your doctor, and definitely won't bring up to your friends. On today's show, we talk with Michael H. Weber, Oscar-nominated screenwriter, known for 500 Days of Summer, The Disaster Artist, and The Spectacular Now. He also has a special connection and history with the show, so stay tuned. The opinions on this podcast are broadcasted for educational and informational purposes only and do not represent the opinions of our employers. These opinions are not intended as a diagnosis, treatment, or as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a local physician or other healthcare professional for your specific healthcare and or medical needs or concerns. And welcome back to the House of Pod. I'm Kave. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Joe. How are we guys? Very good. Great. Summertime, enjoying the weather. Although in San Francisco, it's not really a thing. But my summer, we're going to go right into it, guys. Ready? Let's get to it. My summer, um, I was a patient more than any other time in my life. I've not really been a patient. I think I'm mostly healthy, but... You know, it's just very interesting because I really haven't been on this side of things. But I'll tell you some things that happened. Again, I'm totally fine. But I had like an ear abscess, a chipped tooth. I went to the gynecologist. Mm -hmm. I've heard of those. I was waiting for the silence. I'm like, when you say gynecologist or like bra or menstruation, men no, let's get to it. Let's get nuts. Typically, just like crickets. Can't can't scare us. Anyway, um, and this just brought up uh, things that Kave and I talked about was. When you're a patient, at what point do I tell my care provider, whether it's a nurse practitioner, a nurse, mm-hmm. a doctor, someone putting in my IV, whatever, can I, can I that guess? 
it, your question is, when do you tell them that you're a doctor? Yes, this is the question. And I just feel like um, the timing is interesting because you want to, for me, I'm sort of impatient and it's for me, the elephant in the room, even though the other person, it's not the elephant in the room for them, but I want to say it right away, but I want to say it in a way that's not condescending. So when a nurse is putting an IV, I don't want to be like, <clears throat> I'm a doctor. Like, I don't want to make someone feel uncomfortable and like I'm sort of pulling rank or that I expect professional courtesy or any special care, but I'm just constantly thinking, when do I tell them? Because as a doctor, when I have a patient and I'll talk for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, and then they're like, oh, actually I'm a doctor. I actually get a little bit annoyed because I want to know that information. I'll talk yeah. to them differently. I'll say, do you know about this or do you want me to go on? Like, cause I don't want to waste anyone's time or, yeah. or talk down to them. So it's tough because on one hand, you kind of alluded to this. You don't want to come across being like, I'm a doctor. I deserve special treatment. Uh, but at the same time, if you don't tell them that, it's kind of misleading. It's like you're almost waiting to entrap them in something. Right. Um, and it's tough. Uh, I know exactly the situation you're describing too because you you do speak differently to a doctor than you would to a normal person, not because you're giving them necessarily better treatment, but because there's a language, a shared language that doctors have and you can communicate in that language and, and express a lot more detail because we have that language. So if someone comes in and um, I'm talking to them for a while um, and I'm getting, say, a consent for a procedure, I will use maybe a little bit different language than I would. I'll be explaining things to them like I wouldn't need to explain to a doctor regularly. Right. Um, and that could seem a little condescending to a doctor. So it, it's a tough call. I don't know when you're supposed to say it and when you're not. Or when someone's in the healthcare profession, whether again, a nurse or a doctor, and I know that I'll say, I'll say, I just think this sort of takes that, that stress away. I'll say, I'm going to talk to you like I talk to everyone else. I'm just going to go through the motions for consent. Just say it so that the nurses in the room with me are comfortable that I've gone through the motions and that you're signing the paperwork, just like everybody else. You know, I just want to call attention to the fact that I know they know they know I know, and I'm not making them feel like I'm talking down to them or or being redundant or superfluous or whatever. So I don't know. I just, it, it kept happening like over July and August, just over and over. It, it is nice for them to get a heads up. I've been in a situation um, where uh, the doctors have come into a room where I've been there as a patient or as an advocate for a friend or family member who's been a patient. This there's a couple of circumstances in the last year where this happened where someone came in, they started talking and they didn't know that I was a doctor, that my wife was a doctor and they started talking to us about medicine and they weren't getting the facts right. Mm. And it got really awkward because I didn't know what to say to be like, I kind of want to just be like, look, let me, let me stop you here. Actually, that's not right. This is what happened. And do that in a way without uh, intimidating them, without making them feel like uh, adversarial in any way. It was yeah. really challenging. Whereas I think if they knew from the start that we were doctors, they probably would have come in better prepared. Now, the argument you could make is, well, they should have come in better prepared no, no matter, matter what. what. Yeah. No matter what. But there is definitely a certain level of embarrassment that they're going to get if a doctor says, uh, actually, that's not what happened. And then when factually. you tell them like later when I've been in that position, I feel ambushed almost like, oh my God, like right. you, like what you said, you're tr waiting to trap you. Yeah. The other thing I have is sometimes I'll talk to patients about the risks and benefits and the consent. And then they'll be like, 
well, I'm a lawyer, so I know all this stuff. And I'm like, I do immediately. I'm like, are you, yeah. are you threatening me? Is there yeah. a veiled threat in there? Oh, yeah, that happens a lot. Well, they're usually joking. Yeah. But like, it's still like kind of weird where you're like, it's so like, weird. I'm a lawyer. I'm like, okay. It does. I mean, oh, now I'm not now because I know you're a lawyer. I'm going to treat right. you okay. I'm right. going to treat you the same way. I'm going to treat everyone else, which is fine. Right. You know. And I was doing a procedure a couple months ago on a young, a very young patient, and the father was in the room, and he was like, "Well, that's my only daughter, so take good care of her." And I was like, "So if you had two daughters, <laughs> right. you'd be like, God, do whatever you want do with this one." And also, again, there's some judgment there that like I will take better care of her because you're asking me to as Let if I wasn't you. going into this yeah. thinking I would do the best job that I could possibly do. You know, we've talked about this in the past and I mean, oh my God, I'm blanking because I'm high. Um, <laughs> what's the question again? Well, <laughs> I swear to God. I'm... You know, you said that that doctor got something wrong when they were talking to you and your wife about something medical. I had the same experience where a doctor got it wrong and I felt immediately less confident in that doctor. And really it was um, like an anesthesiologist who was talking to me and I'm like, oh my God, an anesthesiologist puts people to sleep and wakes them up again. You know, like on our our Facebook post, people are commenting like all these wonderfully cruel ways to describe what an anesthesiologist does. Like I make you stop breathing, I do things to you and then I wake you up. This was a person who said something wrong to me and it really shook me. Like I was like, this is a person who's controlling my breathing and my heart rate. Whereas, you know, intellectually speaking, that probably the fact that they got wrong probably doesn't have too much of an impact for what they were going to do. Right. Like they're probably going to go through the same process of getting you sedated for the procedure or surgery or whatever. And it probably doesn't make that much of a difference, if any. But still, you do, you know, when you're a doctor you are selling something and you're selling that confidence in yourself. Yeah. And if you can't make that come across, that can be concerning. It's like, you don't want to, we've talked about this before. Like you don't want a pilot coming on like the overhead and being like, Oh, there's gonna be a little turbulence. (laughs) Everyone just hang in there. Or when the pilot says, Hey, we'll be landing in Houston. And you're like, um, we're not going to Houston. (laughs) That kind of stuff is not cool. Right. Joe, did you? Yeah, I really got to ask you, though. Don't you think as humans, though, when when a lawyer comes in or, or any person tries to get some leverage over you in that way, when they're making a joke just to get you more concerned, do you do you guys feel that it actually puts more pressure on you? And if it does, could that possibly make you dot the I's, cross the T's maybe a little more than you would have before? That's a great question. I do think some people with their jokes are hinting at something that they're actually really scared of. And they're saying, I'm actually nervous. Can you make sure you do a good job? And I do think it scares me a little bit. But some people, everyone responds to fear differently. Some people do a worse job. Some people do a better job. And I'd like to think that most of the time we do the same exact job. That's good. I would say that uh, I think someone should always advocate for their own health. Someone should always advocate for for their well-being. Without threats. But <laughs> but making it um, come across as adversarial doesn't help. And I'll tell you why. I don't think I'm going to do anything differently to someone who is coming sort of across adversarial. I'm going to go through the exact same excellent quality health care that <laughs> I always do. But the only difference is I might be less inclined to like talk to them in great detail yeah, afterwards. Right. Good it point. makes us avoid, this is a known thing. When um, patients or families are really difficult, we as healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, EVS, environmental service, janitors, avoid these people. 
And that's the worst thing you can do for healthcare is have this fear, right? you know, and if you're, you know, there's a whole spectrum. Some people really do respond to fear. Some people have total avoidance and that's not what you want from if you're sick in the hospital, you don't want people to avoid you. Yeah. You want to have open communication yeah. with them. Good point. Yeah. No, these are, these are great questions. And I really, I mean, again, being healthy, it's just a very unique perspective to be a patient for a minute, an hour, a year. You know, it's just you notice little things that you never thought were, you know, that you would be shocked. And and I've learned now as a doctor, I say things differently and I think about things a little bit differently from the other perspective. So um, we're going to get right into our interview now. Yeah. Before we do, uh, remember, if you have questions, email us at hopquestions at gmail.com. That's hopquestions at gmail.com or call us at 408-444-6623. When we come back, we are going to be interviewing Michael H. Weber. He is a screenplay writer who has written movies like 500 Days of Summer, The Fault in Our Stars, and a ton of other really popular movies. Oh, including the Oscar-nominated Disaster Artist. Stay tuned as we talk to him about the depiction of medicine in movies. Today we have with us Michael H. Weber. Oscar-nominated screenplay writer who wrote Disaster Artists, The Fault in Our Stars, and 500 Days of Summer, among many other wonderful films. Uh, it's been a great year for you because the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Um, and I can't remember what else I was going to say. But more importantly, he didn't pass high school gym. <laughs> and we dated when I was in med school and, re- and a resident as well. So Michael probably has a unique perspective on medicine. Welcome, Michael. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. And let me start off by saying, never date anyone who's in med school or in residency. <laughs> we'll, we'll get, we're going to get to that. But that, Michael, let me first ask you, how many interviews have you been on where the host starts by mentioning that you dated? That's a good question. I think this is the first. I think this is the first time. First. You're, awesome. such, you're such a slut. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, thank you for coming on. We got. Uh, we do have a lot of questions for you, and we appreciate your time. We know as an Oscar-nominated screenplay writer, you're probably very busy, so we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, tell us about how that is, not having to be at work between the hours of 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. every single day, and yet and yet being busy. Tell us. <laughs> tell us about that. It's weird because that question sounds judgmental um, <laughs> when I, I, I actually make a decent living. So it's odd. Uh, I guess you have to train yourself to be your own boss. Um, I'm going to answer your question seriously. Uh, discipline and, and really just staying hard on myself that I put in the hours. But the, the, the more unusual part, rather than having an, not having an office to go to, is the fact that depending on the phase I'm in with a project – is what my day is like. So uh, the the actual writing of scenes is is a much different schedule than say being in production, which is a much different schedule than if I'm chasing after a project, trying to get hired for it. So, um, you know, no matter what phase I'm in, I, I just consistently have to make sure that the work is more important than just about anything else. Um, and 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 then stay true to that. Uh, there there are, seem to be, 
you know, so many people who want to do this. So <laughs> I, I, I feel lucky that I get to do this and don't want to get kicked out of the club. Right, right. So speaking of that club, we, we talk a lot about how medicine is portrayed in popular culture and movies in particular. Um, so I have a couple of questions for you about that. I, I guess the first thing I'd like to ask you is, what do you think is the most accurate depiction of medicine in movies or film or TV, anything like that? Particularly, you have a little bit of a background because you know, you, you've dated a uh, pre-med, you saw medical school and some of that training. So from your perspective, what's the most accurate? Hmm. In your professional opinion. I, you know, um, I haven't rewatched it in a long time, but growing up, I loved St. Elsewhere. Uh, and I thought that show, uh, when, I, when I think back on it now, it seemed very accurate and it seemed to care about accuracy. Uh, it also is just like one of the best written TV shows of all times. Yeah. In, in recent years, uh, I don't know. And I think, I think becoming someone who gets to make movies has changed how I watch them. Because to me, it's less about, oh, I'm, I'm watching for accuracy and more that I'm watching for the illusion of accuracy, which are obviously not, not the same things. Um, there's a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bungle this, but Aaron Sorkin, who's much better at screenwriting than I am, has, has, has talked about this, and, and I don't, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's... Nonsense. It's He's a not, hack. Say whatever you want to say. Yeah, it, it's not always important. It's not, it's not important I understand when I'm watching characters, even whether or not they're doctors or something else, I don't need to necessarily understand what they're doing or saying, but I have to understand that the characters know what they're doing or saying, which is why if you watch, like, for example, West Wing, there are scenes where characters are in sort of deep uh, uh, policy mumbo jumbo talk. And, and you, you can understand the intent of the scene, even if you don't understand all the words they're using and, and, right. and, and everything they're saying. So I think um, a lot of times, especially when it comes to the portrayal of medicine, the thing that's being conveyed is these characters know what they're doing rather than uh, they need the audience to know exactly what's being said. Right. You have to sort of understand it and believe it emotionally, if not intellectually. Yeah, and we right, and now, and I don't. Um, I never watched House, but I had friends who worked on that show who said uh, for the writing staff, the and the production people, the hours were grueling um, because apparently they, and again, I'm hearing this secondhand, but they went to to great lengths for uh, as much accuracy as possible, uh, given the fact that if I understand it correctly, the premise of that show is some pretty kind of outlandish medical situations, but that they, they cared a lot about accuracy. Um, you know, other movies less so, you know, aren't, aren't, it's not about the accuracy. It's about what's going on with the characters. Well, this first came up, um, we talked about the big sick a while ago and I really liked the movie so much, but as doctors, you know, as the professionals, the experts, when there are inaccuracies, it takes us out of the film in that moment, you know, and it, and it still, I still recommend the movie, you know, people ask me and, and Kaveh made a good point that, and like what you're saying there, the movie and the TV show isn't being made for the doctor specifically, you know, so it's not that important. And we understand that you're supposed to sort of have willing suspension of disbelief for a minute and let it go. But that's sort of what inspired us to, to ask you to come on the show, because if you did want to get it right, 
what do you do in that circumstance? I mean, honestly, you and I over the years have had a few conversations about what do you call the person who checks you into the office? You know, is it a medical assistant? Is it a, you know, a nurse? Is it a, you know, what's the terminology? But, you know, I know, I guess you go to me sometimes, I, I assume all the time, but what do other people in Hollywood do? Like, what would you recommend? What do you know what people do? Do they just Google? Sadly, I think most my guess would be most writers Google or use Wikipedia. I know it's again, it's different for a TV show. So a TV show could run for years. And oftentimes, at least the better TV shows, they they have consultants yeah. who, who are hired and kind of sit in on the writers rooms. And How make do I sure make that, that money is the question. Um I have a feeling those people don't make a ton of money, but I don't, I wouldn't know. Uh, it's a good question. I'll find out um, if you want to move to Los Angeles and be a consultant on a medical TV show. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It sounds like it would be a lot of fun for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I think with, with films, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think there are writers who really concern themselves with research and getting it right. And then there's writers uh, who care less about that. So, um, you know, I, I probably fall somewhere in the middle. I, I want it to sound right. Uh, but I don't, you know, there's times where you just sort of have to fudge it. A, a dramatic license will be taken because right. again, it's, you know, I don't want doctors in the audience to be turned off by what they're watching, but at the same time, I can't, uh, slow down the movie or, or you know, hurt the pacing or right. interrupt the flow of an important scene. That's, that's not about medical minutia in order to get something right. That would then hurt character theme plot like that stuff has to come before medical accuracy for me but i think it's just it's different for every writer it's different for every um for every director i you know i was um i was helping out on a project recently helping to fix something that was uh science fiction related and and i was using wikipedia to try to understand something about uh gravity and and the way gravity works with with uh, uh with stars and and the director was not happy that I was using Wikipedia. The, the director was much more a stickler for um, wanting to make sure that the science was accurate. So again, I think it's just different filmmaker to filmmaker. Yeah. So let me ask you, you know, there's always been TV shows about medicine um, and movies about medicine and medical life. Why is it so popular to write about that in Hollywood? Hmm. That's a, you know, that's a great question. I know that traditionally TV, especially it was always sort of the doctor shows, the cop shows, the detective shows were, were, were just sort of tried and true 
uh, genres. Um, you know, I think hospitals are viewed as exciting places where there's a lot of drama. Uh, I think also, uh, you know, medicine inherently, these are life or death situations. And I think a lot of times when, when, uh, you work in, in storytelling, one of the things that, that most, whether you're a screenwriter, a novelist, or you write for TV film, we all wrestle with stakes. And suffice to say, if you're, if your story is set in a hospital, um, automatically, yeah, automatically there's some life and death stakes there. It's, it's probably why you see a lot more shows set in hospitals and movies in hospitals than you do in sort of private little side practices. Right. Or coffee shops. You don't see private practice shows that much. Right. Well, you, you know, when you do, it's almost sort of like a wink at like, look how small the stakes are. You know, it's sort of, it's almost like a joke that way, like, uh, uh, doc Hollywood or, um, there was that TV show, uh, some years ago, um, Oh, uh, there was oh, Nip no. Tuck. So, they did surgery like in garages and vans and right. And the, and the stakes of that show felt like those guys were like rebels sort of yeah. running and gunning surgery and like and like bending the rules. And that that that's where they made up for the fact that, like, I guess plastic surgery or whatever isn't always life and death. But those guys took a lot of unnecessary risks. Yeah. And you also sort of bring up the fact that there are like rebels. And that's something I've noticed a lot about movies and, and also shows, but particularly movies. They don't show your run-of-the-mill doctor every movie is about some doctor that bucks the system that fights traditional medicine there almost seems to be like i I don't know if that's just for dramatic effect or if that's because um there is some underlying zeitgeist you know that there's something questionable about the medical community because there's always the main characters is always that one who's fighting the system it's never just like a run-of-the-mill doctor no i i agree and to me it feels actually something uh, uh, very American, like a, uh, this, this idea we have about ourselves, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the renegade cop. It's the, it's the, the doctor who bends the rules and takes unnecessary right. risks. It's something there, there's this, um, for better or worse, this quality we seem to enjoy seeing in these characters that we, that we invest in that we want to know, like, Oh wow! They don't. The rules don't always apply to them, and it feels like some kind of this American idea of you can kind of bend the rules and get away with it, and the the, the ends justify the means. And I'm not I'm not you know trying to um, cast a, a moral judgment on this, but it does seem like a trope that you find within all of these subgenres in a way, like that yeah. the the cowboy doctor, the cowboy cop, the cowboy detective. The it's just yeah, it, it's and and yet audiences still seem to 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 flock. Uh, uh, to that, I, I I can't remember any recent movies that were entirely set in hospitals or at least about doctors. It seems like nowadays the trend in film uh, is more sort of studio comedies that yeah. have some length of the plot take place with doctors or hospitals. Hey, Michael. Uh, thanks for joining us today. I've heard a lot about you as well. Uh, so it's nice to finally meet you, at least via audio. Um, my question is actually specific to a show, and it's kind of a medical question for you, Michael, or for any of the doctors here. <laughs> Michael, you ready? A lot oh, I'm of ready. People... Are you kidding? Of course I'm ready. <laughs> All right. I like that confidence. A lot of people, including myself, wonder the show House, is that guy, that guy is a what they call a diagnostic diagnostician diagnostician his, okay thank you and his Which primary isn't the real thing, role is just asking. to get in a group with doctors and diagnose 
difficult situations. Does that really happen in hospitals? Is that accurate? Is there such a position? Really curious. Wait, I love that. Wait, I love that. I just a few moments ago was talking about how House is a show that strive for accuracy, and then you, and then apparently his position is not a real type of doctor. That, that's amazing. That sums Joe up also, but um, just sort of um, amazing. N- uh, honestly, the quick answer is no. There's no such person who just sits in an office and hears questions and boom, this, boom, that. But but that is definitely part of being a doctor, seeing patients, touching them, talking to them and diagnosing. It's really one big 360. This guy, I haven't really watched a ton of it. I think I've only seen one or two episodes. Doesn't seem to have that much one-on-one interaction with patients. He is the guru. But are there like teams that get together in a group and say, you know, different perspectives, like on a cancer case or something? Not, not like that. What in reality, what happens is there's someone taking care of the patient, and they will call consultants to come help them, and they will hopefully all communicate amongst each other. Sometimes there'll be meetings where they meet, but. There's not like one team of people who does everything that works together. It's not really quite how it works. If you want to know how these shows come to be, I'm pretty sure that uh, uh, sort of the pitch for House and, and, and how it became a show was, well, what if there was a doctor who basically was Sherlock Holmes, who had Sherlock Holmes yeah. brain and like ability to, to make these sort of deductions and these and these leaps that are that, that like his mind is operating at another level. What if that person was a doctor? And I think that's that's like the genesis of where that show came from. And then sort of everything was built around that concept. Like House, you actually do need a medical consultant because they're talking about these crazy, unique diagnoses or just common diagnoses that present very, very unusually. And you can't just make things up. Like, for instance, you... And I have this joke where you say when your leg hurts, it's called chin centesis. You just you just make up stuff. So, you know, this is uh, evidence of your creativity, I guess. But, you know, I guess maybe I just uh, have a deeper empathy than you do. I, we can discuss that at a separate time. But the point Very is, likely. It, right. it, you know, my pain is real to me and whatever we call it, it's there. Right. Oh, well, I'm not sure and, if that's empathy. Right. That might, there's a different worthy, word for that. No, right. no, no, no. And it's worthy of you having more empathy is what I'm saying right. So, right. about that, my situation. So sometimes I don't believe Michael's pain issues. So he'll just, it's shinsentesis. It's real. It's a thing, you know, anyway. So Michael, you mentioned that uh, if you uh, were to give advice to people dating uh, med students, it would be to not do that. But say you're stuck in a situation where you are dating someone who is accepted to medical school and is going to medical school. What advice would you have for them? What is that experience like? Um, I don't know. You know, here's the thing. How, I'll try not to take any of this personally. Please go ahead. No, no but, let's get no, weird but, no, but, and real. Mike, you're asking a really good question about something that took place almost 20 years ago yeah. that you know, it's hard to say, like, I feel like at that age, at least I was closer to being a child than an adult. Uh, and, and, and looking back on it, I go, cause, cause there were a range of med students in terms of their ages. And I think I bet, um, you know, it's interesting. It wasn't, I don't know. It, it, it was, it was unique because every few months your schedule changed so dramatically and you were experiencing all these different things. Um, but on the one hand, we were just out of college living in the big city. So that was sort of unique and weird. So I was about to say it might be easier for, for, for couples that are a little older, 
Um, yeah. But I don't know. But then again, when you're like 21, 22, you can kind of roll with anything. So uh, I was making jokes before. Actually, I, I had a blast living in the hospital. I thought it was fun. I would put on scrubs. I would go downstairs <laughs> to the cafeteria and have like free breakfast. I would – it was – I like I, I loved it. It was so much fun. And I remember once I was in the elevator with a pregnant lady and I was wearing my scrubs, which were really your scrubs, and the elevator jolted and I thought, oh my God, this is just like that <laughs> Saved by the Bell episode. I'm going to be delivering this baby. And it didn't happen, but you know what? Because you weren't in there for like weeks. I wanted to deliver that baby. <laughs> it was, I really was like, this is like, this is like when Mr. Belding's wife was pregnant. I was so excited. And this is why there's TV shows about hospitals because of this exact feeling that you had in that elevator with that pregnant woman. Here's what I would say also to the whole thing about um, dating uh, a medical student is that it, I don't think in of itself it's it's going to break a relationship. Um, you, you're right. I think the people who go into it at, at when they're older, their relationships tend to be a little bit stronger, more stable. They're at a point in their life when they're ready for that sort of thing, whatever. They do better. But when you go to medical school, it does require a certain amount of... Um, self-centeredness you really have to just do this one thing really well and do a lot of it and kind of focus on yourself so if there's any sort of issues or even the slightest little problem in a relationship i think it won't make the relationship break up but it'll exacerbate any problems that are there any cracks that are there in the relationship are going to become more dramatic michael what you know the, the other thing that was uh more of a challenge for me actually was you know i didn't I didn't mind the hours that you had. Like I, I totally understood, and I think my hours were when, okay for you. That's good. Yeah, they were they were okay for me, but they <laughs> they were fine. I, I got I got through them. But but you know what was interesting also was that when you did have anything resembling time off, we were still usually around all the other people in med school, mm. and 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 which is fine. Except what was interesting was there were a, a small handful of people that that both of us, but I'll, I guess I'll just talk about myself who I liked. And then there were a lot of people who really sucked in medical school. <laughs> He's right. And like, and that was the, that, no, but I'm being serious right now. It sounds funny, but I'm, I'm saying like, you know, between the, like the, the gunners or the people who were the ones who were yeah. eighth generation doctors yeah. who were acting like they were already saving lives when they'd been in medical school for a month or just like sort of, there were a bunch of, there's there a high a level of, of douchebaggery. No, there were a bunch of people you wouldn't want to spend yeah. time with in any situation, and suddenly we had to spend time with them in all situations. Yeah, yeah. we did. We did sort of live in a dorm. It is very tight quarters. But I was going to ask you, Michael, very importantly, what was harder for you, medical school or residency? That's a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> you don't need to answer that. I like Michael. Uh, Michael, you, you mentioned you Gunner. Know, they were both hard, but in different ways, okay. would be my answer. Okay. So anyway, go, go. Sorry, next question. You mentioned Gunners. You mentioned Gunners. We've talked about them on this show. Um, can you explain what a Gunner is to people who, who haven't heard that term before? To Joe. Yeah, I was just going to yeah, ask sure. that question. Took um, the words right out of my mouth. You know, Go ahead. I think there's I think there's different shades of of, of gunners. You know, some gunners are, uh, you know, the, the the teacher's pet. Some gunners are the ones who are like think they're on a mission from God and they're very full of themselves. Mm -hmm. Some gunners are the kind of people who are like volunteering for everything and trying to do everything. And so this is all like the path they're on is the only thing they eat, sleep, drink, breathe. Right. So the, I think there's different shades of, of, of this, but all of them are annoying. 
And oh. you know, you you just you also always feel you also feel with gunners like you probably can't tell them that they're this way, and even if you did, they wouldn't understand it. It's right. it's well, it's the, you super know, irritating. And by the way, they exist in my they exist in my field. There's not I when I my first um, experience in the film business as an intern. I remember showing up for an internship and knowing just knowing that my job was to photocopy and run errands and whatever. And I remember this other. This other kid who was a, a, a an intern who came from a prestigious film school, and he showed up at the internship, and on day one was sort of acting like, when am I going to get a, to direct a movie around here? Right. And it's like, settle down, intern. Right. And then even now, when we're even now, you know, many, 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 you know, two decades later, I'll be on set shooting uh, a movie. And you can tell which of the PAs, the production assistants, oh my God, are gunners. The worst. Bec- yeah. No, no, some of them are fine. Some of them are chill. And then others are like very up in your business and yeah. sort of, you want me to fetch you something or you need anything? Like, you're like, okay, settle Ask down, kisses. settle down, yeah. gunner. Yeah. Like, it's, well, you're not what- like, you're not going to become a producer by the end of this movie. Right. Just know your role. Know your role. Well, that's what you and I talked about initially. You guys don't know. Michael wanted to do like broadcasting, specifically sports, which he um, does, does love. And uh, and and I remember because we were uh, at least friends in college, and that was a huge turnoff for him. Was these guys were like really raging gunners, but like the backstabby, secretive gunners, right. which is the ones that we That's the closeted the gunners are the ones that yeah. We the, hate. The, the the culture of broadcasting is interesting because um, there are only so many broadcasting positions. It is not like you know you really aside from making a podcast, you can't just show up at the Yankees game and go. I'm going to do a sports cast. So these, that world is so cutthroat. And I, and that's not, to, to be honest, the main reason I, I, you know, my brief dabbling in that field ended is because I was terrible at it. But, but the, but I was aware early on that that culture was filled with these broadcasting gunners who were all like, you know, I've been practicing my play by play since I was 12. And it's like, Whoa, settle down. This just seemed like something fun I would try. Like I can't, I can't match that that enthusiasm level for yeah. something I've never really done before. Right. And the truth of it is, if those kind of gunners are similar to the kind of gunners we had in medical school, I don't feel like they end up being any better at their final job than the person who wasn't, you know? Oh, like, I completely agree with you because I think at the end of the day to really no matter what you do, if you don't have the right balance, like you can't just only work and only live for your job. Right. Like it's not somehow your your job performance will suffer if you don't have a better balance exactly. in some way, and and those gunners don't they don't know that yet, and and I don't know I, I try to have like a little sympathy because it certainly seems like a lot of them it's almost like they're trying to convince themselves of something. Right, right, right. Totally know you experienced that as well. Well, uh, listen, we thank you so much for coming on. Do you have? I'm sure you have a, a lot of things to get to. Do you have anything to, you want to plug or anything you want to tell us about before we uh, let you go? If you haven't seen The Disaster Artist, uh, it's on Netflix right now. It's on iTunes. You can. It's on cable all the time. I, I got to tell you, man, I love that movie. I think you did a great job with it. Um, I love the uh, original movie, The Room, uh, that it's based on. And uh, Thank you. I really enjoyed your take. I think in general, you, you're obviously very, very talented. You, we love your work with uh, pediatric cancer. Strong work with that. <laughs> thank and, you. Thank you. I, I will come back anytime and talk more about medicine. It's It's, you know truly my passion yeah uh, <laughs> that's your first passion and simone and mike brody want to know when does 501 days of summer come out specifically that's their question for you <laughs> not anytime soon oh so sorry sorry we all love that movie too so thank you so much for coming on 
Thanks, everyone. Hey. Bye. Thanks, Mike. Go, uh, I have to go ice my shin synthesis, so right. I got to go. Um, right. Right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. So Michael. Bye. All anecdotes and patient-related details have been changed with respect to date, sex, and certain details so that patient identification is not possible. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.